You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, it's Luke Hector on the 19th of February 2023 for another podcast. Yes, we're back to normal scheduling now, or at least for the most part. (laughs) I do have a cruise coming up and I'm not entirely certain whether that will clash with a podcast episode or not. But we'll cross that bridge in mid-March when that happens. And suffice to say, health-wise, I'm 99.9% sort of back to normal now. I mean, I do still have to like watch my voice after say extended chat but providing i have some drink with me fluids i don't usually have a problem but i would be wondering how it would last if i was to do say a whole day of gaming so i don't know if it's a hundred percent there but you know i'm free from that cold i'm free from the laryngitis stuff so i you know i'm kind of like yeah i'm cool you know i'm cool i'm cool things are fine health Back to reasonableness, and as you can see, I've been putting out some content lately, some couple of reviews, and you know, I think things are kind of back to normal now. Although the reviews, I wish were doing a little bit better than they were. I mean, Skyrim's not doing too bad; it's a bit of a sleeper hit, but even so, it's still only seventeen hundred. But let's like say it's a sleeper hit. It started off pretty slow, and now it's picked up a little bit of traction, but. I must admit, the views likely have been a little bit on the disappointing side. I mean, barely capping a thousand views, and this is after like, you know, multiple weeks for the Seven Wonders stuff. And I thought Seven Wonders was like one of the most popular drafting games around. So I'm kind of surprised that doing a massive overview of all the expansions, including the newest one, is not getting a lot of buzz. Come together, I can see why that one wouldn't be so popular. I mean, it's not out in the US yet, and a lot of other channels have covered it already, because they covered it after Essen, whereas I left this one till late. And so I'm not surprised that that's not doing well, but given that I did a full review on that, like the full detailed review, to not even cap a thousand at this point is kind of disappointing, really. It kind of defeats the purpose of doing it as a full review. You know, Skyrim might as well have been a full review for how long it was. And I've just done Mythic Mischief, but only I only released that yesterday, so that's not particularly indicative. And to be honest, I'm not expecting Mythic Mischief to do that well, because, well, it's not that well heard of. It's from a fairly not that well-known studio. I mean, they've done Moonrakers, and that's about the only thing I know of from them. And so I'd be surprised if that one does well, but then that's why it's a quick draw review. So, yeah, I'm kind of concerned on the viewership lately, because, I mean, some of my older stuff, I mean, I get more views for doing a crowd-surfing monthly chat, which I'm still going to keep doing, but, yeah, that sort of thing is better. Now, that being said, things were good in January. I mean, the, you know, the top 10 did very well. So did the uh, preview for Arborea. Uh, Frostpunk has now finally picked up a bit of steam. Same for the uh, Encyclopedia and Marvel United. So maybe February is just a quiet time. Maybe, you know, not a lot of people are watching game shows in February. Uh, maybe Valentine's Day had an effect, you know. So I, I don't know. Or maybe it was just the games that have been reviewed lately are just not that popular with people. I mean... Mythic Mischief and Come Together probably aren't that popular and Skyrim's only going to be known by a few people and 
I'm just a bit surprised by the Seven Wonders expansions, really. But like I say, I'm, I'm sure they'll pick up traction as time goes on. Uh, you know, Repost Production needs to share the content a bit more because I've noticed that they haven't actually shared the videos out. At least I haven't been aware of it. So be interested to know if they've done that. Oh, well, you know, soldier on, such as the way of a small creator. We're certainly getting good on the viewership front. 19275 subs. Come on, let's get that to 20,000. That'll be a good little milestone. But in terms of uh, future content that I've got planned, uh, not tons, but good stuff. The top 10 two-player games that I've been raving on about, saying that I'll get it done eventually, has finally started. I've rendered the first one, the casual top 10 two-player games. So I'm going to release that on Tuesday. So, you know, be on the lookout for that one. So that is coming out Tuesday. Finally, I'm sorry it's taken so long, but at least it's uh, better late than never. And I'm also doing, obviously, a two-player Next Step Games and a two-player Advanced. So those will follow in reasonably quick succession because I want to get those three done relatively sharpish. Uh, the other reviews that I've got in mind are mostly going to be stuff that I haven't had as review copies. So I don't know whether to do them as quick draw or not, but... Some people have asked me to do a quick draw review of Hamlet, and I could do a, a review of Hamlet. I mean, I've played it enough. I, spoiler alert, I'm selling the game, so it's not something I uh, overly recommend, but there's good and bad stuff about it. And I wasn't too keen on it at first, like, review-wise, but I've heard that it was hyped up by a few channels, and, and, and the same channels who hype up games all the time, and it's like, ah, I feel this is misleading. I might want to jump in here. So I think Hamlet's going to happen. That will be a quick draw review I'll do at some point. And then I also want to review Obsession because a few people have asked me to review that one now that I finally got the game downstairs and played it, both multiplayer and solo. And so people want to know my thoughts on that. And you know what? I reckon that warrants a quick draw review at least. I don't know if it warrants a full review for Obsession. I think I could sum up my thoughts in a quick draw review. Fine for that. But Hegemony which I'll talk about later, is definitely getting a full review, because that's a full review copy, that's a very detailed heavy game that needs a lot of discussion. But that's not going to happen until March, because that's when effectively we've got like kind of an embargo, we're sort of timing it around fulfillment for the Kickstarter, so that one will come at some point during March, but I'm playing solo games of it, and well, I'll talk about that later. But yeah, so there's some cool content on the horizon and obviously there'll be a March crowd surfing and uh, we'll do more top 10s after that. Nothing on the horizon for collaborations at the moment. One is hinted at, um, a podcaster and I might do a top 10 at some point, although unfortunately I've lost the contact detail so I need to go through my Facebook history and try to find out when we were discussing it. But there was a potential of doing a top 10 games that uh, with too much bloat um where you know these are our favorite games but we understand that they've got bloated by now so we might do something on there but i don't know for certain we'll have to see but yeah i'm, I'm just trying to catch up with everything and obviously maintain my health because you know the stress factor is always a thing and i've only just got over that cold i mean i can feel my throat drying up at the moment before i drink this tea and i've noticed that my left wrist is starting to ache a little bit at times i'm worried that i might have developed some repetitive strain injury from the gym or just general lifting of stuff so it, it's fine but i do notice it aches a tiny bit if i bend it um or lift something particularly heavy but mostly if i bend it um, I'm seeing my massage therapist on Tuesday. She might be able to do some deep tissue on it. But uh, yeah, I might go see a physiotherapist at some point because I've still got 
you know, 100 quid's worth of a cash plan at my work or sorry for health before april so it's kind of like might as well use it while it's there it's a benefit of working there but uh yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll go to a physiotherapist and get it checked out because um the last thing i want is for a repetitive injury to stop me going to the gym so yeah all the things got to contend with uh certainly would have liked to have got more videos done recently but had a power cut on friday which was planned apparently but they've literally only just received the notification saying we're planning to cut your power on friday morning and all the residents were up in arms because none of them got notified about it so yeah claims are plenty from the electricity provider on that one but oh well i'm waffling on that's just basically how my life is going at the moment soldier on Got through Valentine's Day just about, you know, I went to a friend's house and we played some games. That was good fun. It's I have to distract myself on Valentine's Day because it really, really affects me emotionally. And I don't, I mean, I, I hate it for its commercialism already. And I know a lot of people do, but emotionally, it really does like drive a nail into me every year. And I really, I've never had a reason to celebrate it every year. So it really hits home. And so most of the time I have to try and distract myself and that usually means playing games constantly, keeping my mind occupied, working overtime at work or something just to keep my mind doing something productive. This time I was at least able to spend the day doing very productive work and then go to a mate's house and get cooked for and play some games. So, you know, good distraction, got through it this year. But yeah, usually does my head in. And notice I didn't do the top 10 two-player games on the 14th like a lot of other people doing. It's like, seriously, how do you distinguish games for couples from two-player games? That doesn't make any sense to me. Go play Fog of Love. That'll be funny. <laughs> Try and keep your relationship stable after that one. <laughs> I still like the game, but yeah, you have got to take it with a pinch of salt and a go into it with a, like, uh, my, uh, a different mindset because I could imagine you could break up a relationship badly if you played that too seriously but I enjoy the game it's good fun right so what games have I played recently well uh, well I've already mentioned one of them but let's go into just a briefly uh, for another one that I've been doing quick share this where's the share screen there we go so, Edge of Darkness, I've been finally getting that back to the table. And you'll be wondering, Luke, why is there no rating here? Why is there no logged plays? Because I've done the imp I've finally done the smart thing and registered a new uh, one called Dummy Player. Like, literally, this is a dummy account. And this kind of is going to play into my discussion topic later on, actually. The fact that this is easy enough to do. But basically, I was getting sick and tired of everybody using logged plays as a crutch for arguments. I don't always log my plays. I only started doing it a few years ago. And most of the time, I forget to do it. Because I don't care that much about how many times I've played a game. I only use it for kind of semi-personal reflection or to remind myself that I've played a game enough to review it. But because I don't always remember to do it and haven't done it for ages, some games look like they've got less plays than they actually do. And the amount of times people just rag on like, oh, you hate this game, you never played it. And it's like, get over yourselves, all right? Of course I've played it. I just don't log I just don't go through the meticulous process of logging on to Board Game Geek and logging a play all the time. I forgot to log my play of Edge of Darkness term on Friday. You know, and that's one of my favorite games, and it was only two days ago, and I forgot to do it. I had to remind myself today. But the fact of the matter is, when I'm, like, trying to do 
when I'm playing games with people, particularly at conventions, I'm socializing with the people there and I'm having fun playing the game. You know, I'm into the atmosphere. I am not wasting my time for 10 minutes after the game is gone, getting onto the BG Stats app and going, Ooh, let me just check who played with. I played with Susan, played with Jeremy, and I played with uh, Gary. Right, Gary, what was your score? It was 73 and uh, mine was 65 and a half and we were playing Concordia uh, and um, it was also a Tuesday and you were wearing a blue shirt and this was my personal best score and it's like i don't care i hate that app i hate that stupid app we can really record too much data about ourselves sometimes but i don't know i digress but yeah now people can stop bragging on me for plays as i will just use a dummy account for browsing uh you know board game geek and that way it's a lot easier for me but right edge of darkness so yeah let's actually get back to the plot <laughs> i'm ranting a lot already but maybe it's just the after effects of V-Day. But Edge of Darkness, I'm not going to rant about because Edge of Darkness is fantastic. I ranked this a 9 out of 10. But I understand that Edge of Darkness is a niche game. It's a very, very niche game. Because it was pretty much Kickstarter only as far as I'm aware. I don't think you ever could get it otherwise. And it's a big game. I mean, it is a huge box. Okay. In fact, give me one second, podcasters. I'm just going to get you the lid. Right, here we go. So this is mainly for people who can uh, see it on the video screen. But basically, this box is huge. This is the lid. To put it in perspective for podcast listeners, I've got it on my shoulder here on the webcam view, and it's taking up about half the webcam screen. It's huge. This thing is a giant box compar comparable to stuff like... Maybe, well, I don't know, it's not far off a Gloomhaven-sized box. Uh, certainly close to something like Thunderstone Quest and that, but... Whew, it's a big one. It's huge. But this is John DeClaire's most heaviest game he has done, I believe. I don't know, Downfall was pretty heavy. But if we're talking this card crafting system, it's his heaviest game. But I love this game. Now, it is niche. And some of these photos are not doing it justice. But the, the basic premise of this is that it's a mixture of worker placement and the card crafting system so you you pick a scenario and you have 10 locations that you place on the board and each one has an advancement sleeve that goes with it oh yeah did i mention the artwork's really nice but yeah this is not the best photo and it's a prototype copy but we'll go with it so 10 locations will be around the side of the board and each one has its own sleeve advancement and then there's a street in the middle where the cards from a deck which is composed at the start of the game via the prologue are basically put and then laid out for people to use what happens is that you are basically trying to get victory points by various means so get reputation for killing monsters or be known for defending your capital from threats or just being allied with a bunch of cards which means getting your allegiance sleeve in there so that you own the cards basically but the cool thing with it is that what happens is that in some games you have to work to get the advancements and stuff like that. Here you always get one every turn. So your turn sequence is basically first you draft a bunch of cards from the central row, depending on what your hand size is. And so on, on that front, you don't necessarily get the cards that you built. You may get rubbish cards, so you may get opponent's cards. You can use opponent's cards, fine, but you have to pay the money to use their abilities and vice versa. So if you create the ultimate card, there's a good chance people are going to nick it a lot. But on top of that, you've got this cube tower where you've got these threats that's way overproduced in size. But basically, you drop cubes in there to represent who the threats are going to attack. And the threat cubes are determined by what cards you draft because the more powerful the card you draft, the more threat cubes that you're going to generate as a result. 
these are just little components but oh is that a better picture yeah that's a full-size picture so as you can see it's a bit of a table hog it's taking up the entire inset of my gigason table at the moment it's underneath the sleeves because i'm basically uh you know i'm i'm essentially playing it solo at the moment because let's face it i don't get a chance to play it very often so i kind of want to play it as often as i physically can and you know it takes up a lot of space but this picture is actually a pretty good one too Whoop. nope don't zoom in anymore so ignore these black tubs they're horrible containers chuck them out and use your own tubs they really are poor but Every turn you get to sleeve any of the 10 advancements. So you already get to add a cool ability to your card. Then you trigger all the abilities on the cards in any order you like, do as you please. And then you basically get to create card combos like the card crafting system allows. But on these locations, sometimes you have to put agents on the locations and while they're there or when you take them back off, they may trigger some other abilities. The amount of variety in this game is off the charts. You get something like 30 something locations in the base set alone. 30 plus i think it's like 34 i've got all the expansions now and granted that's a bit of bloat because i haven't even started on any of the expansions yet but that is another what like four scenarios per expansion so that's another 12 scenarios on top of the eight in the base game and it's also another what like 10 20 plus locations in each so i have got I forget how much it is. I swear I've got something like nearly a hundred locations in that box. The variety is insane. And I've definitely got way too much for this game. Because it doesn't hit the table very often. Because as you saw, it is a mammoth table hog. It's a mammoth uh, box. It's a lot of setup. It's uh, definitely rules heavy. Well, it's, it's not rules heavy, but... It's more the fact that you will forget how to play it, you know, from game to game, because there are a few nuances here and there, and the rulebook is not perfect. It's not one of AEG's best. But once you get the rules, it's more the fact that you've got so many options for those um, abilities and what order to do them in. You even have trackers in order to help you do it. So you can have some really satisfying turns, but the AP potential is high and downtime can be quite high as well, which is why I pretty much only want to play this if I'm playing it solo, or with players who also love the game. I have two friends I played it with on Friday. They love this game. So any chance we get to play it, we will play it. And yeah, I, the fact that it's on my table, I said, don't pack it away. I'm going to play it solo this weekend a couple of times. Because that way I actually get some plays out of this. To justify the fact that it's a 9 out of 10. A bit of tea. And as I say, it is a fun game. But it is niche. Like Gloomhaven and a bunch of these other mammoth box games, it is niche. It's a big game. It's expensive. It's not going to be for everybody. You've got to be into John DeClaire's card crafting system. You've got to be into a game that's going to take you two to three hours to finish. Uh, you've got to be into a decent amount of setup and a little bit of rules checking every now and again. So it's definitely not for everybody. But it's on my top 100 and my top 50 each time. And it may even rise up. When I try these expansions and all these other places, this could rise up. It's just one of those games that just turned up and gave me what I wanted. It took a system I already love, the card crafting system, and did something really cool with it. Now, I don't like Dead Reckoning so far as much as this, but I've only played Dead Reckoning once. It was a very long game, three and a half hours plus, four players... Uh, very random I was a bit disheartened by how a random battle at the end of the game basically decided the whole game but I would be willing to give that one a few more plays with more familiarity and less players to see if it was maybe just a bad experience I don't know because I didn't hate the game I just thought oh there's some good stuff here the card crafting stuff's all good but then this stuff like the 
ship combat and all that is a bit mm, not too keen. I would like to try it some more, but certainly not enough to want to buy it and play it solo for the amount of money it cost. It was kind of ridiculous. And let's face it, if I've got Dead Reckoning and Edge of Darkness, how do I juggle the two? So, yeah, this is definitely a game I recommend people try rather than buy. If you are interested in the mechanics I've been saying and the system, then if somebody gives you the chance to play it, I recommend you do give it a try. It's going to be a long affair. But given how expensive and hard it is to get this game, if you don't get it on Kickstarter, and we know how downhill that's gone lately, I do recommend playing this game. And if I get a chance to teach you it, I will. You know, I don't know how that's going to happen. It would have to be at a convention or something. But, you know, this is a game I won't mind teaching, but it is going to be a long affair. So if you are prone to analysis paralysis, <laughs> you might want to stay away. But yeah, this is a solid, solid game. Right, let's move on to Hegemony, and I'm only going to talk a little bit about this one because I am doing a full review on it, but Hege I don't know if that's the pronunciation. People are telling me that I've got to be careful with this, and I don't know if it's uh, Hegemony or Hegemony. I, I think it's probably Hegemony. I don't know. I, I promise you I will figure out the correct pronunciation in time for the review, but I've heard several methods, and honestly... Why can't you just call your game something that e people can easily pronounce if you're going to do this? But lead your class to victory. This was a Kickstarter that I heard about, but the theme made me not back it. I thought this is... Well, there are some red flags that I have with this game. Firstly, it's a theme that I don't desperately go for. Although, I'm noticing that I seem to enjoy this theme in this game a lot more than I thought I would. <laughs> Mainly because... Well, I'll get on to that in a minute. Uh, secondly, it's uh, a lot of designers I've not heard of it's a different publisher although i have heard of of course uh vangelis bagiotakis uh oh sorry bagiotakis i don't think there's an r in there and the reason i know him is because he's one of the co-designers on pursuit of happiness so ooh, okay one of my favorite euro games of all time so certainly i was intrigued to get his uh, opinion on this but also, the fact that it's asymmetric. This is an asymmetric game. So, and then when I say asymmetric, I don't just mean, oh, you have a few player powers. I mean that we're talking four factions that are fundamentally different from each other. In, like Root, like uh, Merchant's Cove, you know, stuff like that. And so there's definitely a... Like, a few flags where I'm like, I don't know if I want to get involved in this because it seems like it will be too much effort. And I'm not going to lie, it's been a bit of an effort. But so far, I feel this effort is worth it. This could be one of my favorite games I've played of the asymmetric style of play so far. And that is going up against Root, you know. And um, what's the other one that Osprey Games did? Uh, I forgot what it was called. I can't remember what it was, but um, Osprey Games did an asymmetric one, and the I'll, I'll try and remember it or look it up in a second. But the you know these games I'm a little bit hazy on because it's not that they're not fun, although Root I'm kind of half and half. I find it meh. I do think Root's overrated, but you know there's some merits about it. But the problem is, is that I don't like the idea that I've got to teach four separate games every time I play the game, and that just gets grindy after a while. So you have to play it with people who know the game inside out. And that's just a rarity. So, like I say, a few red flags. But I thought, you know, they offered me a review copy. And, I was, you know, very kindly. And I thought, you know what? I like to jump out of my comfort zone every now and again. You know, play games that I might not necessarily gravitate towards at first. To see if they're, you know, any good. 
So I'm just going to say a few first impressions. Firstly, there is quite a lot of rules to learn in this game, but I didn't find it quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. The theme in this is pretty strong. They have to abstract a few things, obviously, for you know game purposes. But the way that the working class, middle class, capitalists, and state players do their thing makes sense. And there's also a lot of overlap. In some other games, particularly like Merchant's Cove and that, there's very little overlap. You've got this massive thing you're doing that's your own game, and then there's a tiny bit of overlap with everyone else. This is the opposite way round. Yes, you have got your own board where certain things happen, but there's a surprising amount of overlap with the other players because of the central board. So... With this, oh, God, blimey, that's a big blown-out picture there. <laughs> but, yeah, it's quite a table hog. But I'll see if I can illustrate from this. But basically, yeah, everybody's got their own player board, but everything's happening on this middle board. And there's public companies that the state controls. There's capitalist companies that the capitalist controls. There's the middle-class companies. The working class doesn't have any companies, but they're the ones who supply the majority of the workers. And so what happens is that Workers are going to these companies, the companies are producing goods for those players, but the workers are getting paid wages, which is money going to the hands of those players, and there are policies that are in place, this table at the top is basically laws like healthcare, education, tax policy, fiscal policy, wages, minimum wage, and you get to vote on these each round, so you know you could have a situation where there's low tax, high wages, that kind of thing. Uh, the state has events that they have to keep in track of, but there's also state benefits, which is basically freebies they give to players. And the state has its own treasury, so it's a monetary system that has to be maintained. Uh, the capitalists can export goods in the foreign market. The working class and middle class have to keep their people happy, so allow them to prosper. So they have to feed them with food and give them luxury goods like iPhones or whatever. And the capitalist is just out to make money. So they don't really care what they pay the workers as long as they can make a good buck at the end of the day. And the state is trying to almost be like the vagabond in route where they're trying to maintain a balance with all three factions while trying to keep the policies at certain points at certain stages. It sounds like a lot. And it is. But companies work the same way pretty much. 90% the same for each of the players who has companies. The prosperity tracks for middle and working class, which is how they score points, is exactly the same. The numbers are slightly different, but the way it works is exactly the same. And so other than that, they just have a couple of other minor mechanics that is key to them. And you get a very good reference aid. I mean, there's these square reference aids, which, you know, has a fair bit on it. But they tell you all you need to know. You know, so credit where it's due. The rulebook in this game is actually decent. It's not the best rulebook I've seen. But it's also not even, I would say, even average. I'd say it's a, I'd say it's a good rulebook for a game of this overhead. But the reference aids, I think, in particular are brilliant. I think they're really good. And uh, what, what is intriguing me with this, I've only played it solo, by the way. I've been doing it with AIs. And the AI opponents are pretty cool. You have two ways to play each one. And you can play you can play this two-player, three-player or four-player. But to include certain factions, you have to have more players. And I am probably going to expect that the best way to play this is either solo or four players. You know, solo you can go head-to-head -head and it's not too bad. But four players I would really want because the state player doesn't enter the game unless you've got four players. And I think the state player has a good impact on the game. Not to mention it is quite fun to play. So I feel like you really want to get the full four-player count for this or just play it alone. Now, the simple AI just flips a card off a deck and you follow some instructions in a step-by-step -step process. 
Cool. The advanced mode, uh, that's too much faff. You know, you have this, you have these uh, cards that you lay out with like uh, markers and then you every time you flip a card you check each of the four actions on it and then you check a condition card and if the conditions are met you up you increase the priority of certain actions and then by the time you've done all that faff you then decide which action they're doing based on the highest priority yes it might simulate a more expert opponent but it is way too much faff and overhead to contend with in a solo game I mean, maximum play against one opponent. You can play against multiple AIs, but man, you could play a four-player game of this against three simple AIs when you're familiar with the game, and it's doable. It'll be long, but it's doable. I would not want to imagine playing against three advanced AIs. It's just way too much. And so I don't think I'll ever want to play this advanced AI again. You know, it took way too much faff. But the simple AIs still give you a challenging game. It's not like they're dumb. <laughs> you know, they work just fine. And it just cuts down a lot of that overhead. Oh, a bit of antique, cool, bunny. Yeah, I'm definitely noticing it a little bit with the rants. But yeah. I'm enjoying it so far. You know, this, the theme is represented very well. There's a lot of banter, and I think some of that is because I treat it similar to Obsession. I don't give a monkeys about Downton Abbey and Pride and Prejudice. I'm still having therapy for doing Pride and Prejudice English literature. But when I play Obsession, the theme is strong, and I just ham it up. I just jump into it like I'm doing the Red Dwarf, uh, you know, mistake. Uh, you know, the, the one where Crichton goes around assassinating all the Pride and Prejudice people in the VR simulation. It's so hilarious. It's one of my favorite sequences from Red Dwarf because not only is it funny, but it also speaks to me because I would like to go around a VR simulation and assassinate all the players for the fact that that book gave me uh, PTSD effectively. Yeah, when you have to read the entire book and watch the Colin Firth serial Pride and Prejudice, then you can get on my case about Jane Austen's, all right? But, phew, yeah, hated that. But I just go into the theme and ham it up. You know, like, do the silly voices or just make fun of the fact. I mean, you know, I even introduce zombies in there randomly because Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, as bad as the movie was, is just a what? <laughs> you know, WTF moment for that series. But this is the same sort of deal. I'm not a politician. I'm not a massive uh, fan of politics or anything. I don't like talking politics. You know, the world's going to pop. Well done. That's basically politics in a nutshell. But with this, the whole idea of how the working class, the middle class, and the capitalists work makes sense. You know, it, and how the state is trying to maintain a balance between all three. So, thematically, it works, but you can just ham this one up as well. I mean, I'm going to be playing this middle class with, you know, Paul Grogan on his channel at some point early March. And, you know, capitalists are going to be calling the working class peasants just because it's just because for fun and giggles. I'm going to be saying that my companies that I have and as the middle class are basically all environmentally friendly, all serve vegan food, you know, all the stuff that, you know, middle class millennials and all that sort of are into. The capitalists are naturally going to be just like all oh, money, money, money and nothing else. And the state should probably have a bit of a headache for uh, what they're going to do with it. So, you know, we're just going to have fun with it. We're not going to take it super seriously. And it is a fictional setting at the end of the day. It's not based on the UK or the US or anything specifically. But yeah, I think so far this game is shaping up to be a good, fun game. But again, it's going to be a bit of a niche game, I think. I think this is going to be appeal very greatly to a few fans. But then after that, probably not for everybody. But let's say, so far my first impressions are good. It'll be interesting to see how some group games turn out of this. Right, let's take a big swig of squash. Thank you. Thank you for bearing with me. Whew. And then, 
we'll go on to some news. And I'm going to just talk briefly about most of these news because some of these you've probably heard already, but we're, you know, we'll go for it. So, first up on a bit of a sad front, Holy Grail Games has shut down. And they, you know, they've been six years in the market. Can't say I've made a massive fan of their games. I mean, I just reviewed Encyclopedia recently, which almost seems a waste of time doing that review. It's getting a lot of views, which is good. But, you know, to review it and then suddenly they go bust, it's like, oh, did I? was there a point in doing it? But, you know, most of their games I'm kind of like, meh. You know, they're fine, but they're not great. That's just my personal opinion. But they were a nice company, and it's a shame to see any companies sort of shut down in the industry. So they blame COVID, increased cost, shipping, Kickstarter logistics, a particular logistics company that screwed them over in one campaign. And so if you go to their website, you can read this blurb about the whole explanation. But basically, yeah, they're gone. They're not coming back. You know, they might even struggle to fulfill a couple of... Uh, uh, products that they were doing. So, um, was it? Uh, which ones do they mention? Um, uh, Holy Euro Games, bankruptcy, uh, all replacement parts did not receive their games. So, this could be Encyclopedia, but it could also. I'm trying to think what other games they've had. What are these other games that they've kickstarted on here? Oh, here we go. Yeah, Museum, Pit Tourer, and Titan to our backers. So, you know, that's. They've just had some problems. I mean, I wasn't a fan of Museum. Encyclopedia, I reviewed and gave that an average rating. Uh, never played Dominations. Rally Man, I'm not a massive fan of either. So it's, you know, their games didn't exactly win me over. But they have their fans, and it's a shame to see them go. So hopefully the people who have left uh, can move on to other things and, you know, keep keep their lives going. But, yeah. Bye-bye, Holy Grail Games. It's just another one of those companies that's fallen under because of recent times. Right, Cyclades is getting a legendary edition. Now, this is coming to Kickstarter in March, I believe, and this is the big game from Bruno Kefala, one of the best designers out there, and Ludovic Montblanc. And this one is not just a straight-up reprint by the looks of it. I mean, it's a different company. It's called uh, Open Sesame Games, but I believe they are linked to Madigo. So even though it's not Madigo, it's still linked. But they've basically combined a bunch of, like, some of the expansion content together, but it's still effectively territory control with a strategic bidding system. But... I've heard rumors that there is some changes being made. They certainly have reworked the original gameplay to make it more dynamic and fluid, according to their website. And the artwork looks gorgeous, which is no surprise. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's Miguel Coimbra, is it, that's doing Yep, yeah, Miguel Coimbra's uh, illustrating the game. And as you can see, his artwork's beautiful. I love it. So this game is going to be a looker for sure. But yeah, there's not a lot of information on it, but I've heard that they are changing slightly the way that the bidding system works, and that's not the crux of the game. So this could be a positive thing, but it could also be a detriment. It depends on your perspective. But Cyclades for me was an enjoyable game, but only when you put the Titans faction in there. So Cyclades basically had a, a problem where it felt slightly solitary-ish but also it was just basically race to build the monuments and you know and, it, and you couldn't move around the map very well so I was a little bit like hmm with Cyclades but when you threw Titans into the mix wow it 
got better then because titans basically allowed you to move around the board a lot easier it gave you a map that was designed to get you into combat more it allowed for team mode in six players you know there was a lot of good stuff to be said about titans will this game include titans or means to play it team mode or make it more interactive i don't know so i'm not exactly massively excited for it i mean i've got kemet downstairs and i prefer kemet but I haven't got Kemet out to the table since I kickstarted it because it's a big game, a lot of rules, a lot of setup, and I'm just like, oh, when am I going to get a chance to play it? It's almost a bit of a Kickstarter regret, actually, because I'm just like, there's too many big games at the moment. Do I really need Kemet? But I might have to consider selling that one if I don't get it to the table soon. But that being said, this should be interesting. I'm interested to see how this goes, but I can't see myself wanting to back it unless it really does surprise me. Right, uh, Gears of War, the card game. Who cares? Um, I've never had an Xbox. I've never played a Gears of War game. I don't know if the Gears of War games are any good. They obviously are popular enough because they made enough of them. But I can't control any shoot 'em up game on a console, so I wouldn't go near this thing. But here's why I'm... Here's the main reason I'm not interested in this. I mean, I could get into a new IP that's established fine. But... Here's a few issues with it. Firstly, the card game. I mean, you, there's so many things basically saying the card game and it doesn't always bear well, particularly for story. This is also a story-driven campaign-style game, which means it's another one you've got to commit to. It's like, can we just do individual scenarios, please? But honestly, those aren't even the major concerns. I could live with a game if it was like that. But here's the big red flag that you need to know of. Steamforge Games. Uh, yeah, uh, your history is not great. I'm sorry. But uh, Steamforge Games have done... Let's have a look. Let's have a look at these games. So, Dark Souls. Oh, boy. Yeah, remember that colossal uh, dumpster fire? Uh, Resident Evil 2, the board game. Again, remember that colossal dumpster fire? Um, what else have they done recently? Oh yeah, the Elden Rings they've been talking about lately. Well, if Dark Souls is what your previous version was, then no. And Dark Souls was ridiculously expensive, had way too many expansions. I mean, look at this list of expansions. It is ridiculous. And this was a game that basically just said, look, we've made fantastic models. Please, oh yeah, Devil May Cry, does anybody play that? God tier, what is that? I've not even heard of it. You know, and all there basically is is their Kickstarters that don't run very good Kickstarter campaigns, but they just go on and on and on about their miniatures. And their miniatures are fantastic. I mean, oh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, remember that bad game? Yeah, nobody's been putting that on their top tens of last year. I can tell you that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mike Delicio put it in disappointments. And this is a game where you get to. Oh, I forget. No, I'm thinking of um, Monster Hunter. Uh, where you only get like one hit. Actually, no, I think this is it. Yeah, I think you only get like one monster to hunt in the base set of Horizon Zero Dawn. I mean, such poor value. Although, look, they did Monster Hunter World. So, yeah, they're taking all these really good IPs. The problem is taking these IPs costs money. And I mentioned this when I reviewed the Skyrim game. It costs so much money to get these licenses that you don't have enough money to develop the game to actually make it a good game. So maybe you might want to consider not using a popular IP, creating your own world, and that will drastically reduce the cost. And then you can spend it more on actually making your games good. I don't care if your miniatures are fantastic. Dark Souls was still a terrible board game. So, you know, I hate to rag too much, but this is what puts me off Gears of War. And I know some people have mentioned, oh, there's a Gears of War card game coming. Yes, 
but you might want to taper your expectations a little bit, given that I've yet to be proven wrong about their games here. So, you know, I I foresee that this one's going to be... I, I mean, it's hard to say. This is a card game, though. It's not a miniatures game. So, and 30 to 60 minutes. So this is definitely a much different affair to what they've usually made. Could that be a good turning point for them? We'll see. But, yeah, I'm just a bit... I'm a bit hesitant on this one. And honestly, I think a lot of other people probably need to be as well. Uh, is there any other news I need to mention? No, I think that's it. Holy Grail Games, Cyclades, Gears of War. Yep, I think that's pretty much it for news. Or, well, technically, no. Because now we're going to go on to the discussion topic, which is linked to another bit of news. And this is some terrible news. In fact, it's it's so bad... It actually makes me want to consider leaving this. It, well, okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating leaving the hobby, but it does make me question, you know, the industry as it is, the hobby as it is, the BGG website. You know, there's a lot of things that it just makes me go, yeah, where, what have we become lately? It's really a downer. I don't, I, I, I think about it and it's just like, really, we've come to this. And it's the Futurama meme of uh, Farmsworth going, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. You know, it's because I feel like that. So, I mean, what news could possibly put me into such a depressive state? Well, easily. Brass Birmingham got to number one. And everybody is going ape over this. Everybody, every fanboy of this game is going ape. Now, whatever. Congrats, you got to number one. But... People are sort of saying, you know, you can't have a negative opinion on this, apparently. You have to be congratulating of it. And it's like, well, no. I mean, you don't congratulate a, you know, a, a was it, an, an unbelievable evil dictator for coming to a position of power because he's still an evil dictator. It's not like you congratulate bad things. And, you know, look. If you love this game, fine. You know I don't like this game. I haven't got my rating on here. But suffice to say, I give this rating, well, <clears throat> put it this way. When I played the original Brass, uh, 2013 time, and this is the yellow, horrible-looking version, I wanted to get the game a 1, I hated it so much. But then I gave the new reprint a second chance. And at first, I gave it a very tentative 6. I think on reflection, that review should have been a 5. But I did review it on the channel, and I said, I still don't overly like it, but I can see some merits of it. But in all honesty, that should have been a 5 out of 10 review. It's now dropped to a three. I hate it more and more as I play it. I just don't like this game. I'm sorry. The theme is not in... Look, the, the paint job they've done on this is fantastic. But it is still the Industrial Revolution at the end of the day. It's not... <laughs> you can only do so much. Yes, this cover looks gorgeous. Not going to deny it. And these cards look gorgeous. But there's only so much you can do with the Industrial Revolution. It's a very murky, grim-looking time. But I will give it this, the board and everything else looks fantastic, the artist needs to get new work, I don't even know if the artist has actually done anything else actually after this, but seriously, yeah, kudos, you did a fantastic job with the artwork, not going to deny that, but I just don't like the game. And this isn't going to be like a total rag on Brass, okay? You know, people know my thoughts on Brass, and if you want to check out more thoughts on that, I did a review well, no, no, sorry, I didn't do a review for it, but on my channel, on my live streams, I did a, uh, a very good list, uh, 12,442 views for top 10 overrated games with All Aboard Gamer. 
uh, good old Brendan. And you know, one of my favorite streams I've done in a while. I mean, look at this, 301 comments on this after the live stream chat. That is saying something. This one, I really, in fact, how much is this getting likes versus uh, dislikes surfing? Still in 90% likes versus dislikes. That's pretty good for an overrated games list because most overrated games lists get downvoted like crazy because all the fanboys come on and go, you don't like my game, downvote. But, you know, and to be fair, they still do that these days. But yeah, this was fun. But suffice to say, Brass made it onto this list, okay? Brass Birmingham is on this list. I'll let you decide what position it comes in. But yeah, you want to know my full thoughts on why I dislike this game? Go to that. It's a fun video. It's long. But it's a fun video, and yeah, I don't like brass. But that's not the point I'm trying to make here. The point I'm trying to make is that everybody is sort of really ape about the fact that this is now one... Wait a minute. That just changed. That just literally changed. Rank overall two. That was one a second ago. Oh my god, have we literally just seen a live update on this podcast? I kid you not. I know. We got a browse board games. Refresh that page. <laughs> oh my god. Oh ladies and gentlemen, um basically Brass and Gloomhaven are so close in their average rating. It's 8.65 and 8.64 originally. Now it's 8.65 and 8.67. They're literally 0 0.02 apart. And Gloomhaven has literally just now got to number one again. Gloomhaven and Brass Birmingham are constantly fighting for the number one and two position, and it's hilarious. Although, it's not, that's not what decides this, is it? Sorry, no, I'm looking at the wrong stat. It's the geek rating that stats it. So, Gloomhaven is 8.433, Brass Birmingham is 8.430, so 0 0.003 for geek rating. Would I like Ark Nova to get to number one? No, not really, because Art Nova is a fantastic game, and I rate it a 10 out of 10, but it's not deserving of number one on Board Game Geek. We'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, that's hilarious. So I'm talking about the fact that Brass got to number one, and it's literally just been dethroned. And by the time I finish this podcast, I won't get a chance to let the world know about it, because everybody else would have already done it. But that's quite hilarious, actually. I bet you that's a bunch of people who don't like Brass, but like Gloomhaven, going on to then rank Gloomhaven higher to up their ratings or lower their Brass ones. I bet you this is going to get some review bombing wars. I don't know, but uh, no, I, I digress. That's funny. The fact that that just happened live on this podcast is hilarious, because I guarantee you that said 1-1 one, one when I loaded up the page before I started this. This has happened in the last hour, if that. <laughs> Brilliant. But what I'm trying to get here is that people are going ape over this number one thing. And yeah, I hate the fact that Brass is this high. But it's not just my dislike of Brass. The problem I have is the BG rating system in general. People put a lot of emphasis on BGG. And this is not a rag entirely on BGG, Board Game Geek. It's a good website, sort of. I use it as a database, though. This is a database of games. I want to find information about a game. I want to know its player count, its time length, designers, artists, publishers, what expansions it has, when it came out, how many times I've played it, and that's, and, and like blurbs on what it's like to play. And, and also, the forums are good. So I like to go on the forums and find out stuff and read some text reviews, which actually do vary a lot in quality, but there are some good text reviewers on here. Uh, and, you know, I can watch some video links. Sadly, there's nothing interesting on that lot. But the, you know, I, I do 
like use it as a good database thing. I do think though that the statistics that are community driven on this website are complete garbage, hence the title of this podcast, because is like two main stats that I can't stand. Firstly, the weight rating. The weight rating of this is stupid. I mean, 3.9 for Brass Birmingham. Eh, I wouldn't really say it was that high in weight. I mean, this is comparable to some stuff like Fees Verona and that. And I think, I think it needs to be a bit lower than that. But still, I'd rather it was higher than lower because, you know, gamers skew weight like crazy. But this is the theme. This is only out of five, and it's pretty much impossible to get five out of five. So pretty much weights tend to be in the twos and threes. But it's community-driven, and it really doesn't tend to require many people to vote on it in order to change its weight rating. And there are some games out there with weight ratings that are just such rubbish. And even then, what does it mean? What I mean, one is 3.9, another one's 3.6. I mean, how much lighter is that? There's no way that you can gauge any kind of useful information out of the weight rating system, and I just wish they didn't put it on here. It's entirely community-driven. It's driven by people who are diehard gamers who are already skewed in terms of how they approach game weight. I've had so many arguments with people online about like, oh, I, I played a few heavy games this week, and they go, this game ain't heavy, it's totally light, it's for kids. And it's like, yeah, for you it's light. Think of the bigger picture. This game market is more than just you, okay? Think of people who have not seen the game before, who are relatively new to games, who are just playing a few games casually, not people who literally have gaming intravenously, like, stuck in their veins and their arm playing it 24-7. You know, there are some games that are heavy whether you believe them or not. But that's a fairly throwaway stat. Nobody really cares too much about it. But the real stat that I don't like is the rating system in general. Honestly, I just think it's garbage. Because look at these. Here's a few problems with this, right? First off, the fact that I have a dummy player site, um, dummy player page, is enough reason for you to realize that this can be heavily manipulated. I literally, I've, I've had an account, my own account, for years, right? And for the purposes of streaming, I've now set up Dummy Player. And I literally did it in five seconds. I put in a name, new email address, Dummy Player, password, and that's it. And it's literally going to have no ratings, nothing. It's literally just there as a placeholder. But I could go and rate all these games on this list a one if I so chose. And I could rate them all a 1, and it would skew the results. I could then set up Dummy Player 1, Dummy Player 2, Dummy Player 3, Dummy Player 4. I, I'm not even convinced it would be that difficult to do. I mean, you could just generate a bunch of dummy email addresses and use them. There's no other verification system other than confirming on an email address. That's it. So, it's pretty easy for somebody to spam this site with reviews and not have a problem with it. I mean, there's a bunch of these voters, like here, they say 86,000, 25,000, whatever. I'd be wanting to have an interesting idea as to how many of these are actual people who play games and how many are just effectively, not bots, but just spam accounts. Because I'll bet there's an indication of that here. Because, you know, the fact that I've just been able to do it, I'm not going to, obviously, but I'm just saying that somebody could. That's already a flaw of the system. But the other thing is, is that, Again, 
mainly diehard gamers use this website so they're the ones that are going to take the time to review most of these games which means these games that are ending up in the top 10 are big mammoth heavy games for the most part you know and there are some exceptions but for the most part you're talking these big complex euro games or massive campaign games and that and this isn't the sort of thing that i would like to consider as being the best game of all time especially not when you consider the bigger picture which a lot of people don't do the other thing I really don't like with the site is the fact that you can have multiple editions of the same wretched game. I mean, Brass Birmingham, I'm sorry, for me it's a standalone map pack. And people get on my case about this, but I'm staying defensive on this. Brass Lancashire and Brass Birmingham are basically the same game, okay? Just because Birmingham threw in beer and changed a couple of building type names, it's still effectively the same gameplay, the same thing you do, you just have a new resource to juggle, right? That is no different to Ticket to Ride giving you an expansion map pack and throwing in ferries and tunnels. It's just an extra rule and an extra thing. That's it. It's a standalone map expansion, okay? So the fact that it's there at 2 and Lancashire is literally at 20 does my head in. But it's not just brass, okay? We have Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, and Gloomhaven in the top 10. They're both the same wretched game. Yes, one is easier to get to the table than the other, but it's not like you play Jaws of the Lion and hate Gloomhaven. They're the same gameplay. Pandemic Legacy, the, the season, season one, season two and that. Although, granted, they do fare a little bit more differently. But again, you've got season one here, and then you've got season two somewhere, and then there's going to be season zero somewhere. Although, conveniently, they don't do as well as the others. Twilight Imperium. It's had four editions so far. I'm pretty certain Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition is somewhere in this top 100. I'm sure I'll come across it eventually. Uh, is it anywhere? Well, there's Pandemic Legacy Season 2 at 48. Uh, is there, there we go. Oh, Pandemic Legacy Season 0 at 52. So, three Pandemic Legacy games are in the top 100. Look, you want to make Pandemic Legacy one of the top 100? Fine. But conglomerate it. But, you know, I don't... I don't play each Pandemic Legacy and go, that one's garbage, that one's great. You know, it's the same game. <sighs> what else we got? Um, is Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition here? I don't know. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, these are all... Oh, Eclipse and Dawn of the... the where's the other Eclipse? I'm pretty certain I saw the other Eclipse in here. Here we go. Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. It's basically Eclipse 1.5, and yet that gets to be 23, and Eclipse gets to be further down here in the top 100. So, even though we've got 100 games here... There's so much overlap with additions that loads of these games are not making the top 100. Through the Ages. Who plays the third edition of Through the Ages anymore? I mean, frankly, who plays the physical board game of Through the Ages anymore? Through the Ages is up here somewhere. Uh, pretty high up. Uh, Through the Ages. Through the Ages. Here we go. Number 13. Even though I never see a soul play this game, it's at number 13. Okay. You know, maybe it's the app. I could give that props. The app is very, very good. But who plays it 3rd edition anymore? Really? Battlestar Galactica. Does anybody play that game anymore? Uh, what else we got? Uh, let's see. Raiders and Sea. At least these are... Dominion Intrigue. Have Dominion. Intrigue is the same game. It's just 10 different cards. Why does that get to have two entries up here? Uh, anything else? Let's have a look. Uh, nope. These are unique games. That's fine. Uh, Gricola Revised. Is Agricola Normal up here? I don't know. We'll have to see on that. Uh, these are at least unique games. Azul. At least the other games do play out somewhat differently, at least. 
these are unique games, fine. Unique games, Clans of Caledonia, Lisboa, The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. I'd be interested to know where Mission Deep Sea throws into, which, again, is the exact same game. Manchester <laughs> um, Man, the second edition. Well, at least Manchester Man, the first edition, is not played anymore and is ranked a lot lower. Uh, what else? Um, ooh, Great Western Trail, second edition. Is Great Western Trail up here? Uh, let's have a look. Yeah, here we go. Great Western Trail and Great Western Trail 2nd Edition. Oh, for God's sake. It's... I mean, this is a load. The fact that they can have multiple editions on here just makes the top 100 a waste of space. But then, of course, the geek rating is what determines what's ranked high. But the number of voters is incredibly skewed with a lot of these games. I mean, 55,000 people have rated Gloomhaven. I'm going to bet money that not all of those are real people. Alright, there's not a lot of gamers in the world, okay? 55,000 seems like a lot of gamers to have this giant mammoth Kickstarter thing, okay? But, you know, I digress. But, you know, 86,000 for Terraforming Mars. But let's find some of the low counts here. I mean, War of the Rings 2nd Edition has only been rated by 18,000 people, which is a low number. But these 18,000 people love the game so much it can be in the top 10 of all time. War of the Rings, good game. It's a four-hour, two-player-only game that requires a ton of rules overhead. A person who knows what they're doing. You cannot play this with new people. And you're telling me this deserves to be the, one of the best games of all time. No. Wrong. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I'll, okay. Let's play devil's advocate here. Ark Nova. Ark Nova. I love this game. I rank it a 10 out of 10, even though it has some flaws with it. No game is ever perfect. Only 25,000 people have ranked this, which is lower than a lot of the others in the top 10. And it's already at number four. And it's not even been out that long. It came out Christmas 21. It's had a year. And it's already at number four. Now, you know, I would be happy to see it at number one. Just because I love Art Nova. But I would also not want to see it at number one. Because I don't believe a giant three-hour Euro game, um, you know, with this, like, with those components and a few other bits in there, should be in the top ten. I love the game to bits, but it's not a game that's worldwide appeal, just because it's got an appealing theme. Uh, is there anything else in here that's just a rinse repeat? Well, I mean, Terra Mystica and Gaia Project are pretty much the same game, but uh, I don't know, they do differ in some respects, so I might let that one off slightly. But we'll see. Ah, Viticulture Essential Edition. Oh, I bet you Viticulture's down here somewhere. Viticulture, Viticulture, Viticulture. Come on. Find me it. Find me a Viticulture. Uh... Hold on, let me use control find. Viticulture. Oh no, Viticulture only appears once on this list. Uh, but I'll bet you normal Viticulture is somewhere else. And uh, everything else seems pretty good. I've already mentioned Caverna and the problems with that. But yeah, there's just so much overlap. It just doesn't work. But, you know, let's go back to these ratings here. Paladins of West Kingdom and Grand Austria Hotel are in the top 100 games. They've been rated by 14,000 and 17,000 people apiece. That is a minute number. Kanban EV only ranked by 5,000 people, but then Kanban EV is basically the same as Kanban. It's just better components. So you could, like I say, conglomerate Kanban and Kanban EV together to make the same entry, and that would do well for me. But let's find some really no numbers here. 8,700 people have rated Cthulhu May, Death May Die. 8,700 people. That is a tiny amount of people, and yet it's in the top 100. Obsession. 6,000 people. Look, I like Obsession, but it's far from perfect, and you're telling me that with 6,000 people in the world, in the whole world, voting on this game, it deserves to be at, no at 90. Oh, yeah. 
Search for Planet X, 96. Only 8,000 people have rated it. I like the game, but still, only 8,000 people have rated it. So, how did Decrypto get it, 99? 18,000 people have rated this so high that Decrypto can get into the top 100? When was the last time you saw anybody play Decrypto? It got a few plays when it came out, and I've never seen it in in two, three years. I've never seen anyone play it again. How is this in the top 100? I don't get it. Yeah, so, as I say, I'm ranting on a bit too much there, but suffice to say, I just don't like the way that the overlap works with this and the fact that you can literally have like two people in terms of world population vote on these things and it props it up so okay what games do i think should be in the top 100 how much time have i got here uh i have got let's have a look oh i'm already up to an hour okay well i'm not going to do too many because <clears throat> i'm tempted to do a top 10 of this although i don't know if it will be a good top 10 but i'm just going to mention a few so Oh, well, why don't we mention the obvious one, okay? So, Ticket to Ride. This is legitimately a game I think should be the number one board game on Board Game Geek. Ticket to Ride. I'm not joking. Ticket to Ride. It's ranked 208. So, let me get this straight. And also, other editions are ranked higher. But I grant that technically you could probably conglomerate a bunch of these Ticket to Rides. And obviously not like the new, the small ones or the card game or the dice game. But you could... You could basically shove Ticket to Ride, Europe, Nordic countries, and all that lot into one entry, and I'd be totally fine with that, because I don't think it should have multiple entries either. But, 80,000 people have rated uh, Ticket to Ride. So that's a lot of people. That's more than Gloomhaven, okay? Average rating, geek rating, goes to 7.288, which means overall 80,000 people really love this game or like this game. Okay, that's a lot. It's ranked 208. This isn't anywhere close to the top 100, and yet this is a game that has sold millions worldwide, is constantly still being played today. I still love the game. I still play it. In fact, I played it last pop session. I was on the welcome table to welcome new players, and we played Nordic Countries, and we had a great time. You know, new players playing Ticket to Ride. Fantastic. I have got other people I know to play this loads of times. My family loves this game. It's my dad's favorite game. Uh, it's a constant evergreen for Days of Wonder. It came out in 2004. So this is over... Get my rise up. This is 19 years old. In fact, oh, this will be a good 20th anniversary celebration for Ticket to Ride. I wonder what they'll do next year for that. But they've got to. They can't miss the mark on that. But 19 years old. And it is still a popular evergreen that is constantly played, constantly sold, constantly expanded... And has world appeal. Anybody can play this game. Light gamers, new gamers, middle gamers, heavy gamers. You know, a heavy. I play heavy games, okay. You know, case in point, the Lacerders and all these other games that I talk about. I do like heavy games. I will gladly sit down and play several games of Ticket to Ride in a row. I would. You know, Ticket to Ride is just that good a game. You know, it's in my top 100 all the time. It's usually around my 50 mark or something. Yeah, it's not my favourite game of all time. There are games I prefer to play. But they're going to be niche games. They're going to be longer games. They're going to be more involved games for some parts. But you're telling me that something like that, with all that credibility behind it, is not the number one game of Modern Game Geek. Just because a bunch of heavy gamers don't want to rank it that high. Don't get it. You know, just a, is, I mean, sorry, is there no campaign mode? Do you, do you not like the fact it doesn't come in a giant crater box? Do you not like the fact it doesn't have miniatures? I don't know, but this is a game that should be high up on there. Okay, 
Uh, what other examples could I think of? I mean, this is why I didn't want to do the top 10 list, because it's kind of tricky trying to think of examples. But I mean, I mean, Catan, Catan's not a game that I would probably put in the top 100 or top 10 anymore. Although I do think 485 is a little bit low for a game that revolutionized the board game industry in 1995 and has been voted on by 117,000 people. You know, this is definitely a popular game, folks. Uh, what else? I mean, the Pandemics are in the top 100. Again, they shouldn't overlap their additions, and Pandemic is seriously milking the cash cow on this front. But Pandemic is one of those games that is very popular, has sold worldwide, can be played by anybody, is still enjoyable even though I've burnt out on it, and yet, 126, it's not in the top 100. The legacy games are, but not Pandemic or Pandemic Iberia or any of those. So, one of the best-selling co-op games of all time does not get into the top 100. But the third edition of Through the Ages, which probably nobody out there is playing anymore because the fourth edition is so much better, is getting more rep. How many times do I need to justify how broken the system is? Seriously, before the point is made. Uh, what else would be really good? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean... One game I remember selling tons. I mean, I, I probably, I don't like the game personally, but the amount of times I've seen Dobble, you know, like, played by kids, by families and stuff like that, it's only ranked by 16,000 people. I'm pretty sure I've seen more than 16,000 people play this game, but those sort of people don't come on here to rate games. They're not interested in databases for the games, they're just playing games. And so it's ranked 1340. But man, I have seen Double played in queues, I've seen families play it, it is taken to every introductory event, it gets families together. This is this game, I don't love it, but I don't like it that much, but it's done a lot for the industry from family gamers' perspective, and yet, no recognition. No recognition. Uh, love Letter, one of the best-selling micro-games ever, 309. I mean, that's still good. But still, you know, 63,000 people have voted on it, and it's still, you know, not considered one of the best games that's, like, for the industry. And that's the thing. Board Game Geek is not a website for the industry or the world of gaming. It is simply a website for diehard gamers to have opinions. And maybe that was its intention. But I don't like the fact that so much emphasis is placed on these rankings as a result of it just basically being a forum for gamers' opinions. Yeah, I do feel that there are some games that should way more be represented in the top 10, certainly in the top 100, and yet I'm just not seeing it for them. I'm trying to look on my shelf to see if I can find anything else that I would consider to be so good it should be in the top 100, and I'm struggling. I mean, Cascadia... Cascadia came out pretty recently, but would I consider that to be top 10 worthy? Doubtful. But saying that, I've got a lot of people to play Cascadia and like it. You know, it has the potential to be a top 10 worthy game, but maybe it's a bit too soon for it. I'm trying to think, what else? Uh, there's got to be other games that I can think of that would do it, but... Nothing's coming to mind at the moment. Nothing's coming to mind. There's just a lot of games here that I just don't believe should be in the top 100. And it's not just because I hate the game. I mean, games like Barrage certainly fit that description. But there are just... I mean, Journeys of Middle-Earth, Lord of the Rings in the top 100? No. You know, it's a fun game, but no. It's not going to be that good. But 
yeah, where am I seeing other games that should be up there? It's it's a tricky topic. I mean, what games would you consider to be in the top 10? And I don't want you to just pick your favourite game, okay? I want you to, you know, really think hard about, you know, what games should be in there. Actually, I just found one. Splendor. Splendor and maybe to a lesser extent Century Spice Road. Splendor is ranked 196. Okay, that's brilliant. Okay. Ranked by 72,000 people. But Splendor, for ages, this was like one of the main games that is played. It is still played a lot today. I still play it with my family. My mum still thinks it's probably my mum's favourite game alongside Sushi Go. Actually, no. Splendor, I think, is her favourite. Right? I still really like the game. Dual version, really cool. Splendor is still on my shelf down there with the expansions in it. I will still happily play Splendor. Two, three, or four player. It scales perfectly. It's done as a long filler. It's like 30 minutes and you're done. Super simple. Looks good, good components. It ticks a lot of the boxes. And yet this will never hit the top 100 again. Because I think it did at one point. But it will never hit it again. Because we've got to have the second edition of Eclipse in there. Even though it's basically the same game. I digress. I could rant on this forever, but I'm interested to know your thoughts, okay? What do you think of Board Game Geek as a website? What do you think of the Board Game Geek rating system? Do you think the rating system has merit, or do you, uh, do you side with me and think that it's garbage and needs to be overhauled significantly? Like, somebody needs to go through this list of board game geek and really revamp it change the way the system works clear out all these old editions archive them you know take them out of the ranking system find a way to not put expansions like littering the place you know could there be a separate list for expansions because they clutter up the place you know stuff like this needs to be addressed and they never will it's never going to happen because why do they need to they don't care not enough people care but this is why I place no reliance on any of the statistics that Board Game Geek throws out at me. The game may rank highly. I'll make the judgment call as to whether I think the game is any good or not. Um, I don't like the weight rating. Geek rating means nothing to me. You know, averages and that. All that I'm interested in is, you know, how many times I've played the game, what I rank the game. You know, because just because it's ranked number one on Board Game Geek does not mean I'm going to rank it my number one game. And uh, people just, I mean, I know I've ragged on about this all episode, which I know kind of feels like a bit of an oxymoron when I tell people to not place too much emphasis on the rating system, but I kind of need to get my explanations out. This is why I have, I have this stance. And I'm curious if you do as well. But also on a more positive note, let me know what games you consider should be in the top 10 on Board Game Geek. But think hard about it. Do not just put your favorite big heavy Euro game, okay? Gaia Project does not deserve to be in the top 10 of all time, okay? Be honest with yourself. Does it really deserve to be top 10 of all time from a worldwide perspective? No. You love the game, it's one of your number one game, fine. It's still a niche game when you consider everything about it. So, you know, think hard about it. Ticket to Ride is an example that I think should be in the top ten, if not number one. And I've given you reasons why, even though it's not my favourite game of all time. You know, I'm not going to put Spirit Island, ideally, in the top ten of all time. And yeah, Spirit Island, uh, where is Spirit Island, actually? Out of interest. Spirit Island was... Oh, cool. Knocking my microphone. Spirit Island is ten. Alright, 40,000 people have rated it, 10 on Board Game Geek. I love Spirit Island, okay? Love the game, it's been my favourite game last year, will it be the next favourite, I don't know. But, I love this game. In 
no way, shape, or form do I consider it should be top 10 on Board Game Geek. It is very complex. It is definitely a niche game. It is for die-hard heavy gamers who want a co-op experience with theme. Because a lot of Euro gamers don't like theme. It's apparently alien to them. I mean, that's why they like games like Brass. Because they can have games that are just about mining coal and iron and consider that to be fun. But, yeah... I would never put Spirit Island in the top 10. It is way too niche. It's got its flaws. It's fiddly. But I love it. You know, that's something I'm going to put in the top 10. But I digress. I'm going back to it again. So, yeah. Let me know your thoughts. I'd be interested to know. My throat is dying. I've definitely ranted too much this episode. But uh, hopefully that's why you listen. <laughs> to get my honest opinions about these things. Because at the moment, I am done. I am beyond caring so much about you know, repercussions, because frankly, you just can't please everybody, and the industry has gone down this road where it's all about everybody saying everything's awesome, and everything's cool if you're part of a team, and I notice it with creators, with publishers, with the industry in general, and it's like, you know what, I'm just glad that I'm out there to actually put a more balanced, or honest, or maybe a rant, you know, but I just like the fact that I'm just trying to be honest with everything at the moment and not just say everything's fantastic because when you think about it it's not and I know we don't like to hear that some things are bad we like especially with the world as it is at the moment we like to hear good things we like to hear that something's successful and like I say congrats to the designer and the publishers of Brass for getting to number one at some stage okay you you did well okay but I think the system is garbage, I don't really care that you got to number one, and I still think your game is a 3 out of 10. I still don't enjoy the game, okay? So I'm not exactly going to be showering it with praise. But, uh, yeah, as I look at the thing, Gloomhaven is still number one, so um, I'm going to have a look on Facebook and Twitter and see what's happened, because that is hilarious. <laughs> but, oh well, I don't like either of those two games, so they can battle it out for all I care. You know, it's not of massive interest to me, but I'm just going to wait and see what all the comments are like on social media when all the fanboys of both games start clashing at each other's throats. It's going to be a bloodbath. Anyway, that's it for me. I'll see you on the next episode of the Broken Meeple podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the channel. Please thumb it up on Board Game Geek on, sorry, thumb it up on YouTube for the, I'm talking about Board Game Geek all day. Thumb it up on YouTube for the video version. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope you still like listening to this each fortnight. And, uh, Check out those reviews I've done and obviously look forward to the top 10s I'll start releasing the, this week. Certainly the casual ones coming out. Hopefully I'll be able to find time to get the uh, next one recorded. Although my voice is um, a little going so I'll have to be careful. Maybe record it this evening uh, or tomorrow. Maybe Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday might be better. We'll have to see. But I'll get these two player ones done soon. I think I just better go and rest my voice with a nice cup of tea. So take care. And remember, as always, whatever your opinions are on the rating system of Board Game Geek or Brass or Gloomhaven or anything I've ranted about, at the end of the day, we can all just accept that it's still only a game. Take care. Bye for now. Stay safe. And, you know, take care, everyone.